This dynamic message is brought to you by Redemption in Jesus with Marco Bravo. Today we're going to continue with our series titled The Freeing Truth. And today we are going to look at the freeing truth about balancing law and grace. Now I know that if you've been in Christendom for longer than at least a year, you would have heard, even six months, <laughs> you would see that it's a pattern that is, a, not a pattern, but just a doctrine that is often spoken of. And in general, the gospel is presented as a balance of law and grace, old covenant law and new covenant grace. And, you know, we need to know the gospel truth about it. Now I know that you're thinking, well, I think I'm pretty established in that, especially being part of this church, and I hope so, and I hope that that's true and that's the case. But there's always more we can learn. There's always more we can see and God, more God can show us. And so, you know, one of the things that I mentioned uh, quite a while ago, I've mentioned it oftentimes here and there, <clears throat> one of the things that often is a struggle for me is to cut my messages short, to make them short. Because as I prepare and, you know, as the Holy Spirit helps me and shows me and as the Father reveals things to me, oftentimes I end up with just tons of notes, tons of revelation, tons of things. And being a teacher, I want to share it all. But time doesn't always allow us to do that. So I often have to cut it short. And I always have all those extra notes that I make, <clears throat> all those extra revelations that I would have wanted to share with you. And I kind of save them aside and I you know, put them aside. I have it all digitally because I do everything on my computer and my devices. Um, I very seldom use paper. I mean, and I do, I do write things down from time to time, but I've basically become very digital. And so I save it all and I have it all stored in one place so that I can look things up quickly. I can search for things and you know, I can cut and paste and that kind of thing. And so this is what happens when I share something that we've touched on. I often, more than not, try and bring those additional things that I didn't share with you before into what I'm about to share with what I have shared before as well. So this is why you'll often find there's just additional things. There's just a different uh, perspective on what I have shared before. So yes, I may say some things because that's the basis of you know, the revelation, but there's always going to be extra things on there. In actual fact, <clears throat> I'm trying to think. I don't, as far as I recall, I could be wrong, so you tell me. But I don't recall actually preaching any message that I've taught in all the decades, all the years that I've been teaching the, the Word of God. I don't recall preaching a message verbatim twice. There's always something new. There's always something different. And so, praise God. So, that's what we're going to do today. So, today, as I said, we're looking at the freeing truth about balancing law and grace. You know, the regular denominational, religious, legalistic-based Christian will tell you, if you were to ask them, you know, should we balance law and grace in our lives, they will say yes. And they think it's noble. They think it's pious. They think this is the way God designed his word and, you know, the whole just relating to him system and structure to be is by balancing law and grace. So this is a tune-up message. This is a refresher 
but I believe you'll hear things that perhaps are going to just explode additional revelation in your heart for you. So, we need to touch on some of the basics in order to understand where we are going with this. So, what is law? Law is the old covenant way of relating to God, right? So, in the old covenant, when God gave the law to Moses on the mountain for the people, because the people chose that, remember? God gave it to him. He went down and he said, this is what his law is. And I'm putting it in my own words. And they said, yes, go and tell God we will do it. We will live by it. How foolish to think that an imperfect people can live up to a perfect God, perfect law of a perfect God. And so, but anyway, they chose that and, you know, <laughs> God let it happen for our purpose, really, beyond the cross. But that's what it is. So when we say law, we're referring to the time of Moses up to the cross, because that's how then people had to relate to God, by His law. The basis of the law are the Ten Commandments. There's another 603 around that, and we find that in the first five books of the Bible, also known as the Torah. In actual fact, the word Torah is the actual Hebrew word in the Old Testament Scripture for law. So if you go look up the word law <coughs> in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, and you click on to see what the original Hebrew word is, it'll say that it's Torah, because that's what the Torah is. And so, they so this is how they were to relate to God. As long as they satisfied the commandments, as long as they lived up to them, they were blessed, and they enjoyed the blessing and the favor of God. But, as it says in Deuteronomy 28, if they didn't live up to the law, then curses came upon them. And those curses were horrible. They were not things that you wanted in your life. And so that's what the law is. That's what relating to God is, as we know. Grace is the new covenant way of relating to God. It's very different to the old covenant. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. You cannot earn it. You cannot deserve it. You simply trust and depend on the mercy of God, <clears throat> the grace of God, the goodness of God, just the giving nature of God, and God blesses you as a result of you trusting Him, as Pastor Helena spoke about trust earlier. So you cannot, you know, grace will not be grace if you have to earn or deserve it, if you have to merit it. Then it's not grace anymore. Then it's reward. Then it goes back to law, because law is a reward system. You do, you get. You don't do, you don't get, but then you get the horrible things of the law, which are the curses. And so that's what we're talking about. Now, because both are in the Bible, because they've been canonized together, most people think that because the law and because grace or the old covenant and the new covenant are within Scripture, therefore the whole book, is how we are to relate to God, and therefore they just blend the two and, and come up with a way of relating to God. So they will say things like, we are saved by grace, but then we are maintained saved, or we remain saved by our performance, by our merit. In other words, the things will be said like you can lose your salvation. Things will be said that you can be cursed if you don't f satisfy and do certain things that God expects you to do and so forth 
that's blending law and grace. <clears throat> you will hear things like, you know, grace is God's empowerment to help us fulfill and live by His law. Because His law shows us how we are to live. And so you have all these different doctrinal things that are mentioned, which are all a mixture of law and grace, which are all presented as a balancing, a correctness of putting law and grace together. And so many a preacher will tell you that we do need to balance law and grace. And I'm here to tell you today that the freeing truth is, is, is that <laughs> that was never God's plan for the believer. That was never His intention for us as New Covenant believers to blend law and grace, to mix law and grace, or to have a balance of law and grace. You know, the kind of thing that you will hear is, is that, well, yes, I know that the law had three aspects, even though God Himself never splits up His law into three different aspects, three different um, what it, categories, if you will. But you will hear this from many a, a so-called you know, teacher of the Word of God. They will tell you that there is the civil law, there is the moral law, and there is the ceremonial aspect of the law. And so they will tell you, yes, beyond the cross, we don't have to satisfy the ceremonial law. In other words, the animal sacrifices, the wearing of the clothing, the eating in a certain way. Then they will tell you, as far as the civil law goes, that's how we relate to people. But we have the Holy Spirit, so we know how to do that now. But the moral law, you know, keeping those things about covetousness and stealing and sinning, that still applies to us today. And you know, God never splits up His law that way. It is either all 613 laws or nothing. And we're going to see all of that today. And so this is how many have tried to bring balance, and I say that with quotation marks, balance to law and grace and have come up with a system, a new way, a blended covenant way of saying, this is how you need to relate to God. Now, I've been there, so this is why I know what I'm talking about. And I know that most of you have been there, and so you can relate to this. But that was never God's design. And I know initially when, I st when God started revealing the gospel truth to me, and when I've started sharing this with others, like yourselves, I've had many a people who didn't like what I had to hear, like hearing what I had to say. I, for one, questioned God, and I thought, "Am I listening to familiar spirits? Am I missing this? I mean, is this the Holy Spirit?" But you know, as with patience and with time, God just gently began to show me gospel truth, and this is what we strive to share with you. So, should we balance law and grace? The short answer is no. But I want you to see that for yourself today. Because it is so easy to get caught up in that trap all over again. And we'll do a little diagnostic test in a moment to see just how free we are living from law. Or just how wonderfully we're living in grace. And so, law is about earning and deserving God's favor. Right? Grace is about receiving the unmerited favor of God. You cannot earn it. You cannot deserve it. You can just receive it. That's why it is grace, right? Another way we can put that is, is that under the law, God's favor must be earned and deserved. Whereas under grace, God's favor cannot be earned or deserved. It can only be received by faith, by just simply putting our trust and confidence in Jesus 
and the finished work of the cross. So, to say that believers need to live by a balance of law and grace is to say that believers need to relate to God, listen to this carefully, by their merit in order to get God's unmerited favor. <laughs> Does that even make sense? Did you hear what I said? Let me say that again. To tell a new covenant believer that they need to still relate to God by a balance of law and grace is the same as telling them <coughs> that they need to relate to God by their merit and their performance in order to get God's unmerited favor. So if it's unmerited favor, why do we have to merit it? It makes no sense, does it? I mean, that's what you call, I think, an oxymoron, right? It makes no sense. But yet, this is the kind of doctrine so many in Christendom embrace and hang on to and will fight with you, will argue with you about, and will fight to live that way. And I'm thinking, how foolish. I've been down that road. And how foolish was I? Amen. This is why we need to just be freed from that. And that's why we're sharing what we're calling the freeing truth about it. And so it doesn't make sense. I mean, to give an illustration of, of what I've just said, it would be like me coming to you on your birthday. Let's just say that you had a birthday party and you invited me and I could come and I came and I brought a gift, a really wonderful, beautiful gift, something that you've been wanting. And I give it to you and I say, well, and you say, well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I say, well, hold on, hold on. Don't, don't be too thankful too quick. Uh, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to have given you a gift, but you need to work for it now. So for the next year, you're going to do this, this, and that, and A, B, and C, and D for the church, and for God, and for others. And I give you a long list of things that you need to do to work off for your gift. So you're going to think, well, then it's not a gift. <laughs> it's, a, it's a manipulation. It's, it's a deal-making. I can't really regard this as a gift. Then I'm, if I'm going to earn and deserve it, it's not really a gift. And then I say to you, well, we're just balancing our relationship with a little bit of earning and deserving so that you don't take me for granted. When in truth, you should take me for granted if I'm going to give you a gift with no, um, with no conditions, right? And I mean that in a good way. <laughs> and so this is the kind of thing that goes on. And you think, well, how would anyone in the right mind embrace that kind of doctrine? But so many do because of the way it's presented. And remember, I'm not knocking anyone down because I've been there. It's because I've been there that I can appreciate and share this with you. But just the same way that I've experienced that freedom, I want you to experience that freedom. And all God's people said, Amen. <laughs> Praise God. All right, so let's talk a little bit then about four ways to identify if someone still relates to God by a mixture of law and grace. Or we can put it this way. Four ways to identify if someone relates to God by a balance of law and grace. Four ways. Here's the first one. They'll say things like, we need to earn and deserve God's favor. We definitely need to do in order to get. If we don't do, we are not going to get. Really? Let's look at Galatians 5 verse 4 and what it says about that. Watch this. You who are trying to be justified by the law, notice trying is the best you can do, have been alienated 
from Christ, you have fallen away from grace. So right there it shows us that if we are going to try and earn and deserve God's favor in, in this context, in this sense, in terms of justification or right standing, it says by the law, what we do is we separate ourselves from Jesus and we fall away, we fall from grace. Look at that. So, <laughs> do we need to earn and deserve God's favor? Apparently not, especially by the law. Because if we try and do that, we're actually separating ourselves from Jesus because we put in trust in self and our merit and performance. And on top of that, it says that we fall from unmerited favor, the unmerited favor of God. Why? Because now we're trying to merit His favor. So, why, tr why give us unmerited favor if we think we can merit His favor? Amen. So that's already the first place where people who say we need to have a balance of law and grace fall short. The second way to identify if someone thinks that we need to relate to God by balance of law and grace is they will say something to this effect. We are still subject to the moral part of the law. Remember I spoke about the moral, civil and ceremonial law. This is how they traditionally divide this, even though God himself doesn't do that anywhere in scripture. But they will say, we are still subject to the moral part of the law. Okay, well, let's see what Romans 6.14 has to say about that. And there's a lot more verses. I'm just showing you, you know, just one here for time's sake. It says, for sin shall no longer be your master. Because, watch this, <coughs> you are not, notice, not under law, but under grace. Notice that the Apostle Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote this to the Roman believers and to us, and he says, you are not under the law. So if we're not under law, do we have any commitment to the law? Are we expected to have any commitment to the law itself? Even just the moral part of the law? Apparently not. Now I know at some point, if for any reason this is new to you and Perhaps you don't entirely agree with what I'm saying so far. Please stay and listen to the whole thing. Don't be too quick to judge. But you may be thinking, Rana, hold on a minute. Are you saying that we need to just entirely, entirely ignore the law and disassociate ourselves with the law? Well, in essence, yes, but also no. And I'm going to show you that dynamic in a moment. Okay? But notice, Paul said we're not under the law. So, even if someone divided it into civil, moral, ceremonial, we're not under it. So, we have no obligation to it, right? So, there it is right there. It makes that clear. And then the third way that, you know, that we can identify someone relates to God by a balance of law and grace is they'll say something to this effect. Grace is God's empowerment to live by law. They will say things like, the law is, is, God shows us how to live pleasing to Him by His law, and grace is how He empowers us to do it. So they basically put grace in a bottle and say, this is your empowerment bottle, not realizing that it's the way we relate to God. It's so much more than that. But is that true? Well, Galatians chapter 3, verse 11 gives us the answer to that. Watch this. It says, clearly, no one who relies on the law 
is justified before God. Look at that. Because the righteous will live by faith. In other words, by total trust and confidence in God are you made righteous and that's the way that you are to live. Another portion tells us the way you receive Jesus is the way you are to live in Him. You receive Him by grace, you live by grace, right? So is grace an empowerment to live by law? Obviously not because God just said here that if we rely on law to be justified, then we, this is not how it works, right? And so that makes that clear. And then the fourth way that we can identify is if someone tries to relate to God by a balance of law and grace is that they will say something to this effect. In order to embrace grace the way you want me to embrace it, you are telling me that I need to reject God's law. And is that what is required? <clears throat> well, let's see what Romans 3 verse 20 has to say about that. It says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, watch this, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. See, this is why I said earlier that, yes, we do need to walk away from the law, not relate to God by law at least. Maybe that's what I need to say instead of what I just said. But also, at the same time, we need to understand that it's the law that helps us see just how sinful we are without Jesus. So, yes, we want to embrace the law, but we want to embrace it for the reasons God gave the law, especially to the New Covenant believer. And according to what we've just read, is the law helps us see that we need salvation in Jesus because it reveals our sin to us. Amen? And so that's what we see there. So, if for any reason you find yourself wanting to earn and deserve God's, um, God's favor, then you are living by a balance of law and grace. If for any reason you think you still have an obligation to fulfill the moral part of the law, or any part of the law, you are living by a balance of law and grace. If for any reason you feel that grace is simply God's empowerment, this is how you are empowered to live up to God's moral law, any part of the law, then you are living by a balance of law and grace or by a mixture of law and grace. If for any reason you feel that if you commit to grace, it's going to be at the expense of the law, then yes, you are living by a balance of law and grace. And that's why we need to share this with you today and I hope that you will listen to the whole thing before you make a conclusion and a decision. So, let's cover some specific aspects of our subject here today. First of all, the believer is dead to the law. If you're a believer in Jesus, if you've embraced salvation in Jesus, I have great news for you. You have died to the law. So if you are dead to the law, what, why do you want to have a relationship with it? Why do you want to depend on it to keep enjoying a relationship with God? When God Himself says that you are dead to the law. Watch this in Romans 7 verse 4. So my brothers and sisters, you also, watch us, died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another. The King James says that you may be married to another. 
to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit to God. So notice, right there emboldened, you see, that a new covenant believer is dead to the law so that they can be properly joined or belong to Jesus. So if you don't divorce yourself, and that's another term that is used in that chapter, you can go look it up, but if you don't see yourself as dead to the law, then it's going to be hard for you to see yourself as one with Jesus, as belonging to Him, being married to Him. Because then your, you and yourself and your merit and your performance still remain in the picture when you don't see yourself dead to the law. You see, so the believer, the new covenant believer, is dead to the law. So either you are married to law or you are married to grace, to Jesus, right? That's in essence what we see there. We cannot be married to both. I know that these days our society is trying to change laws and you see all these weird TV shows of, you know, these, uh, what do they call them, poly-something relationships and so on. <coughs> just because it's on TV, just because people are talking about it, just because famous people say, oh, how great this is, it doesn't mean that it's still God's heart for us. And when it comes to what we see in Scripture here, he says, either you're going to be married to the law or you're going to be married to grace, to the Lord Jesus. And, by the way, at the cross, you died to the law. So if we are dead to the law, what are we trying to do? Still trying to have a relationship with it or enjoy a relationship with God through it, right? So you can see that you are dead to the law. This is why you cannot live by balance of law and grace. You are dead to the law. Are you with me? Now, <clears throat> I want to just highlight a point here. We may be dead to the law, and we are dead to the law, but the law itself is not dead. God didn't say the law is dead. It says we have died to it, but it's still alive. And the law, because it's alive, it will continue to do its work, which is the part of how we embrace it in our lives. And to show you that, I want to show you Romans 3 verse 20. We've read this already, but I want to show you that second part from the Amplified Translation. Watch how it puts it, as far as our relationship to the law. It says, For through the law we become conscious of sin, and the recognition of sin directs us toward repentance. This is before we receive salvation in Jesus, but provides no remedy for sin. So we can see from this that the relationship, if you, <coughs> if you will, the understanding we are to have with God's law and about the law is, is that <coughs> it makes us aware of sin. And secondly, it directs us, it points us to salvation in Jesus, but yet it never provides a remedy for sin. So all the law serves is as a mirror. <clears throat> so when you go look in a mirror, you know yourself. Let's just say you had a groggy evening, a groggy night, lots of little nightmares and lots of drooling all over the place and your hair's in a mess and, you know, there's <laughs> stuff all over your face. <clears throat> and then you wake up and you go to the bathroom, you look in the mirror and the mirror is going to show you your true state. But can the mirror clean you up? Can the mirror 
give you wipe your face? Can the mirror fix your hair? No. All it does is it shows you the state that you find yourself in. And that's all it can do. And this is exactly what this is saying about the law. <coughs> that's all it can and that's all it will do for you. Amen. And so that's why I say it continues doing that work, <coughs> but it can't help you or do anything for you. Another way that I can illustrate that is this way. <coughs> the law is like a thermometer. And you know what a thermometer is. You read someone's temperature. <coughs> so the law tells you the temperature of something or someone, but it does nothing to change it. Isn't that so? I mean, here in Texas, <coughs> the summers are pretty hot. Pretty, pretty hot. I mean, this summer alone, we've had over 100 degrees during the summer for many days. And so you could have looked at your thermometer and it told you that it's a hundred and something degrees. It may have even given you the humidity that was high. But unless, you know, you had a thermostat, which is what kicks the AC on, all you would have had is just a knowledge of the temperature. But that thermometer would do nothing. It can do nothing to change the temperature, right? And so that's exactly what the law is like. It will read your temperature it will read someone's sin temperature but it can do nothing to redeem them to solve it that's what that verse just said over there and so this is why <coughs> the believer is dead to the law that's why god makes sure that in jesus we died to the law amen now another aspect that we want to look at here is, is that the believer has been freed from the law in jesus so not only are we dead to the law but because we died to the law, we have been freed from the law. Look at this in Romans chapter 8, verse 2. <clears throat> the believer has been freed from the law. Watch this in Romans 8, verse 2. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free, watch this, from the law of sin and death. So right there we see it tells us, that a new covenant believer, someone who embraces and receives salvation in Jesus, has been set free from the law. Because remember, the law just leads to sin and death. Because all it does is it shows you the problem, but it doesn't give you a solution. And so that's what we see right there, that we have been freed from the law. Now, just because we've been freed from the law, does that mean that we are lawless? That we can be lawless now absolutely not it just means that we live by a higher law remember it says that the law of the spirit it's talking about the grace of god because we receive the spirit as a result of the grace of god so are we lawless no we just live by a higher law now we have jesus in us christ in us and he leads and guides us the spirit of god leads and guides us and shows us and helps us live a life that reflects the holiness and the righteousness that we have in Jesus. Amen. Praise God for that. Now, the believer has also then fulfilled the law in Jesus. That's another aspect that we need to understand about the law. You see, all of these reasons, all of these things that I'm showing you today, I hope you can see and they're showing you that this is why we cannot live by balance of law and grace. Because... Besides everything else that I've said, 
you are dead to the law. So why have any balance? And you're being freed from the law. So why do you need a balance? And then the next thing that I want to show you is, is that the believer has fulfilled the law in Jesus. You, when you receive salvation in Jesus, you have fulfilled the law because Jesus fulfilled it for you. Let me show you this in Romans chapter 8, verse 3 and 4. It says, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. In other words, we couldn't live up to the law because, you know, it's, it's perfect and we are imperfect. And so imperfect means cannot fulfill a perfect law. That's what that's saying. God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. That's why God sent Jesus, because we could never live up to the law. And so He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully, watch this, met in us. Notice, not by us, but in us. Who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In other words, we don't put our trust and confidence in we ourselves. We put our trust and confidence in the Holy Spirit, in God's grace. Amen. So notice right there, that portion showed us as clear as anything that the law has been fulfilled in us and is fulfilled in us through the Lord Jesus because we could never do it. He fulfilled it for us. It is not fulfilled and can never be fulfilled by us. So that's another aspect of the law. It is fulfilled for us in Jesus. We have fulfilled the law in Jesus. So why do you want a balance of law and grace? Right? Law and grace are not meant to be balanced. I hope that you are seeing that because that's what everything we've looked at so far really points to and shows us. So teaching balance is dangerous as you can see because at the end of the day we don't need to balance Moses with Jesus. Moses represents the law as you know. Who wants to have a salvation that embraces Moses and Jesus? That doesn't even sound right does it? No. It's not Moses plus Jesus. It's not Jesus plus Moses. It's Jesus plus nothing. That's why we cannot have a balance. Amen. So when believers embrace a mixture of law and grace, they also then would embrace a mixture, listen to this carefully, of failure and victory. Did you hear what I said? If for any reason a believer wants to have a balance of law and grace, what they're doing is they're embracing a mixture of law and grace. In other words, they're embracing Moses and Jesus. And as you know, all the law does is it shows you your failure, but it doesn't provide a solution. So when you embrace balance mixture, what you're embracing is failure and victory in Jesus. How on earth are you going to make sense of the two when God never planned it to be that way? So under law, you have seen, and we've read that portion of Scripture, under law, sin thrives because it shows you how sinful you are. But under grace, sin is defeated because it's been taken care of. You are dead to it. You've been freed from it. This is why sin will thrive under law, but under grace, sin is defeated. And who wants to live under law where sin thrives? Aren't you with me? I mean, don't you? Does that even make sense? Let's have a look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 to 11. Praise God. It says, We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. How do you use it properly? 
by not balancing it, by not bringing into your relationship with God and using it as the basis of your relationship with God, right? If one uses it properly, we also know that the law is made, watch this, not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels. So is the law made for you who is righteous in Jesus? Because you have righteousness in Jesus. I don't want to get into all that today, but we understand that, right? So if you are righteous in Jesus, is the law made for you? The answer is no. Who is it made for? Lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy, the irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. There's a lot of stuff in there that he mentions, and I want to just cover some of those things as we move on. Now, it's interesting how we see there is that there is a misuse of the law. You can misuse it. How do you misuse it? By applying it to a new covenant believer. That's in essence the summary there. So are you supposed to balance law and grace? <laughs> no. You see, there's a proper application for the law. And it is not for the righteous. So the law is not for you. So not only are you dead to it, not only have you been freed from it, not only has it been fulfilled for you in Jesus, but it is not for you because you are righteous in Jesus. So who is the law for? It is for the unbeliever. It is for the unsaved. Amen. The law is for those who are still in fallen Adam, not for those who are in Jesus. Amen. Do you see that? I mean, that's what we've just seen in that portion. And so... You can summarize what we've just seen there this way. The law has one audience. It is for one specific audience. Who's that audience? The unbeliever, the unrighteous. Because it shows them their current state like a mirror, and then it points them to Jesus. Amen? So the law has one audience. So when we use the law on the believer to show them supposedly their sin, even though they're being forgiven and they've been set free from it, what do we do? We put them on a slippery slope. Are you with me? I mean, I know sometimes on TV shows you watch these competitions and, you know, they have this slope that they have to climb over to get to the top and get the flag and win the race. But then they pour water or oil or some liquid on that slope. And so the people are desperately trying to get up there and they just keep slipping. They just cannot get there. <laughs> and very few actually do. That's what I'm talking about. When we use the law on the believer in any way, what we're doing is we're putting them on a slippery slope, thinking that they can never get there when they're already there in Jesus. Amen. This is why we cannot live by balance of law and grace. It's impossible. It's antith it's a, it's an they are antithetical. You cannot put them together. But yet religion and legalism has done that. Amen. And so the law is designed to point the unbeliever to grace. And it's also designed to keep the believer in grace. That's the, one of the reasons why we embrace the law. Because it's there to keep us in grace, understanding where we've come from, because we see what the law reveals about us in fallen Adam. Amen. 
Look at Romans 3 verse 19. It says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. So here we see the very same audience, the unbeliever, those who may be religious, but they're not believers. So therefore they place themselves under the law. And it says the law silences those who are under it. Why does it silence them? Because when they see that they cannot live up to God's perfect standard, they have nothing to say, <laughs> basically. You see, but because the believer is not under law, the law cannot and does not say anything to the believer, right? It says the law says to those under the law. Galatians 5.4, and I showed you that earlier, says that we are not under law. So does the law then say anything to you? Can the law say anything to you? No, because it's not, it's not there to address you as a believer in Jesus. It's there to address the unbeliever and those who've decided to place themselves under it as unbelievers. So it's not, the Lord doesn't say anything to you. Amen. All the Lord does is it points out the unbeliever's problem and then it provides no solution for them. And, but it helps them see that they have the solution in Jesus. Praise God. So the law reveals to the unsaved that they have a sin problem, but it's not able to remove them from it or to remove the problem of sin itself. Right? We've seen all of that today. Look at James chapter 2 and verse 10. It says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. You see? So there's no such thing as I'm going to fulfill most of the law. Or I know that I'm a good person in general. <laughs> That's another way of putting that. No, there's no such thing. The law is an all or nothing system. Isn't that so? Of course. The law is an all or nothing system. Either you get 100% right or you fail. That's what it says there. And you know, the law's definition, or by the law's definition, all of fallen humanity fails and does, needs or do and does need divine rescue. Isn't that so? That's why God sent His Son, Jesus, to rescue us. Amen. So it's an impossibility to even try and relate to God by law. That's why those who were under the law in the Old Covenant failed miserably. That's why it came to an end, and that's why God provided Jesus. But praise God that we have the law that helps us see and realize all of that. But are we supposed to bring it into our faith and mix it and try and have a balance of law and grace? You can see that it makes no sense. It's a superfluous idea. Isn't that so? Praise God. Romans 7 verse 5. Watch this. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, in other words, trusting and depending on ourselves, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit to death. Look at that. I want to highlight that specific middle point right there. It says that the sinful passions are aroused by the law. And remember I said to you earlier, that's what the law does. Under the law, sin thrives. You remember I said that? 
that portion right there shows us that. It says that the sinful passions are aroused by the law. So that's what the law does, is it thrives. It causes sin to thrive because it reveals sin. So living under law arouses sin. So if we were to tell believers to live by the law, or even a mixture of law and grace, what we are telling them is to live by a system that arouses sin in their lives. Isn't that true? I mean, that's what we've just read. I'm not making it up. That's what it says. So imagine if I came to you as pastor, as your pastor, and I said to you, you know, I think we need to live by the law. Or let me put it in a simpler way. And I'll read Romans 7 verse 5. And then I'll say to you, we need to live by a system that arouses sin in your life. Would you sign up? Would you say, hey, Pastor Mark, I want to stay in this church for a hundred years. <laughs> I want to sign up for that. It sounds good to me. Would you do it? Of course not. It's, it doesn't even, it's crazy to even think that I would say that, that we would do that, right? But yet that's what people do when they think they need to have a balance of law and grace, when they need to mix law and grace. They're basically signing up for a system God himself says. What it does is it arouses sin in their lives. It causes it to be even more. Now you may say, well, hold on a minute. How does it do that? How does it work? Well, I've shown you that basic principle before, but let's give it another shot today. You're watching me on your screen right now. On the top right is the church logo. Don't look at it. It's the church website address. Don't look at it. Don't look at the colors. Don't look at the text. Don't look at any of it, okay? Just don't do it. How many of you want to look at it? How many of you have already done it? See, that's what I'm talking about. I just did it. That's what I'm talking about. That's what the law is designed to do. It will show you this is sin. And the flesh naturally wants to go against it and do what has just been revealed. That's how the law arouses sin. Why would anyone want to sign up to that and live under that? You see, people who live by hardcore legalism, they have to fake it, hoping that they will make it. But I'm telling you, this is why we've seen through the years, through the centuries, people who proclaim to be faithful legalists have always been found to live in some kind of secret sin or be caught up in some sin in their life. Because that's what living under law does. Why would anyone want a balance of that? Why would anyone want that in their faith? And I hope you understand, I'm not trying to sound like I hate the law or an, I'm an antinomian. I am not. I embrace the law for the reasons God gave the law. And I hope you do too, right? We've seen and we've discussed that today. So those who mix law and grace also mix sin and grace. Isn't that so? <laughs> That's what we've just seen. That's what I've just explained to you. So if someone mixes law and grace, they're mixing sin and grace because sin, uh, the law arouses sin. So they're mixing sin and grace, right? I'm not calling the law sin. I'm calling the effect the law has on a fallen person, right? So this is why we can never uh, be at balanced or have a balance of law and grace. It's just not gospel truth. Look at Romans 7 verse 8 again. We just looked at it. Or, or, no, we didn't. We're carrying on. I want to show you something here. It says, But sin, seizing the opportunity, watch this, afforded by the commandment. 
or you could say the law, produced in me every kind of coveting. Watch us now. For apart from the law, sin was dead. See, this is why we died to sin. But the point Paul is emphasizing and giving context to what we've just discussed here is this, that it is the law that gives sin the opportunity to thrive. This is why we've died to it, we've been free from it, we've been shown that we can never, never live up to it, and we shouldn't have it in our lives as New Covenant believers. Amen? I trust that you see that today. Can someone say amen or something or give me something? Amen. Praise God. So if you want to live in the freedom of Jesus and the finished work of the cross, you have to live apart from law. I'm not saying you have to reject the law. I'm saying you have to live apart from law because that was for those in the old covenant, right? When you separate yourself from the law, you also separate yourself from sin because the law arouses sin, right? So apart from the law, Sin is then dead in your life because it stops doing what it did before you receive salvation in Jesus. Amen? Now, having said all of that, someone may say, but Pastor Marco, we live in a world that is based on rules and regulations, and I personally think that we need to have some kind of general rules in our life. We need to have some kind of discipline. I agree with discipline. We need to have some kind of guidelines. I agree with that. But do we need to bring in rules into our life? So we're saying, okay, I'm not going to touch on the law itself, the law of God, because I realize now that I can never live up to it. And I realize now that I can't have a balance. And, and you've made me aware of that I'm dead to it and free from it and everything else. But I do want some rules in my life. So I'm going to bring those into my life and put them into my life. Does that sound like a good thing or a bad thing? What sayest thou? Most people, even grace-believing Christians, would say, I think that's a good thing. We need to have some general rules to live by. You're just bringing in law right back into your life, just with different regulations, with different rules, with different verbatims and all of that. But that's exactly what you're doing. And Paul knew that. Let me show you what he says about general human rules. Because what it does is it leads us right back into legalism, right back into earning and deserving, right back into sin thriving in our lives. Because when you make something a rule, now your flesh wants it. Just like I showed you on the top right of the screen. When I said it, it's not in God's law. There's no such thing in God's law that says, Thou shalt not look at the New Creation Church SA.com logo on the right side of the screen when we're having church. It's not in the law. But when I made it my own human rule and I imposed it on you, what happened? Sin thrived. Now you wanted to look and you did look, right? <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. And you know, I hope people listen to this carefully before they decide to judge it because it's gospel truth. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 20 and 23. Here Paul speaks about general rules. Watch. He says, Since you died with Christ, to the elemental spiritual forces of this world. Watch this. Why? <laughs> what would you say? Why? Why as though you still belong to the world? Notice now he's speaking about the general world. 
do you submit to its rules? It's not telling us to be rebels. It's telling us, you being set free from legalism, why are you wanting to find another form of legalism in your life? That's another way you can put what he's saying here. And then he gives examples. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Now that he's talking about Gnostics there because they had their own law, their own legalistic issues. Then he says, these rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use are based on merely, here it comes, human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom, so they look good, they look like they're divine, where their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, so in other words, people go to extremes to do these, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. In other words, at the end of the day, it is going to have the exact same effect that the law itself has on fallen humanity. It's going to cause sin to thrive. And this is why, I mean, <laughs> it took me a while to permeate, for this truth to permeate through me because I resisted it to some degree because I'm a very structured person. I like to have rules and regulations. But I realized that, you know, if I just trust Christ in me and God in me, I don't have to bind myself to another form of law, to another form of legalism. I just need to trust the Spirit in me to work through me, to guide me and to lead me and really enjoy the freedom of grace and still do all that needs to be done and achieve all that needs to be achieved. I hope no one's going to get me the wrong in this because this is such a powerful deep truth actually. But do you see it? Paul himself right here said, why are you, you just, you just left one form of legalism. He's talking to Jews there. And he says, why are you trying to embrace another form of legalism? It's going to do exactly the same thing to you. So in other words, don't find any kind of balance between any form of legalism and grace. It's grace or nothing. It's an all or nothing system, right? You see, human rules, principles, guidelines, laws, they're all, they're all the same and produce the same result. So if it's not grace, it's not grace. <laughs> Take that one to the bank. If it's not grace, it's not grace, right? Ultimately, we need to simply let Jesus rule, period. Romans 6 verse 14. Let's look at this one as we come to a closing here. For sin shall no longer be your master. Remember, we read this one. Watch what it says next. Because you are not under the law. So if you place yourself under any form of legalism, sin will be your master again and it will thrive again in your life. But you are under grace, he said. You see, sin does not rule over you when you place yourself completely under grace. Do you see that? No balance, no mixture, just completely under grace. And <laughs> that's it, amen? So people who want Jesus plus Moses, I hope you see this now, have no idea what they're asking for. Wouldn't you agree? It's crazy. Gospel truth is Jesus plus nothing. And God's people said, Amen. It's grace at the start. It's grace at the end, and it's only grace in between. 
That's what the new covenant is about. And that's what redemption in Jesus is about. Do you see that? Do you agree with that? I hope you do because I've shown you all that today. You see, new covenant believers were never meant to live by a balance of law and grace. And that is the freeing truth of the gospel. Let's end off with one more. And I promise you this is the last one. 2 Corinthians 12, 19. When Paul was dealing with an issue in his life, watch what God said to him. But he said to me, this is God to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. God wasn't saying, I mean, Paul wasn't saying by any means, well, I have this issue in my life and God says His grace is sufficient, so I'm just going to live with it. I'm just going to suck it up, excuse the expression, and I'm just going to take it like a man. <laughs> That's not what he was saying. God didn't give him, give him an answer. God gave him the solution, reminded him of the solution. Paul, my grace is sufficient. You can overcome this through my grace. And so Paul remembers and he says, yes, Lord. So now I'm going to boast about the fact that I can trust in your grace and not in myself to overcome it. That's another way you can put that. Amen. And so my question to you as we end today is, will you let God's grace be sufficient for you? I sure hope you will, as I commit to. Amen. You see, grace and grace alone is the real stability that we need to have in our lives and not a mixture of law and grace, not a balance between law and grace. And God's people said, Amen. Praise God. We trust that you are blessed by this message. For more information about our ministry or to make a donation to help us continue spreading the gospel, please visit our website at redemptioninjesus.com.